On this weekend leading up to Valentine's Day, I thought it appropriate for us to deviate from our study of Mark's gospel and focus our attention on the Lord's table. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to take it and turn to the New Testament letter of 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 18. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence the public reading of God's holy word. 1 John chapter 3, I'll begin reading at verse 11, I'll conclude at verse 18, and this morning I want to speak to you about the church's love life, the church's love life. 1 John chapter 3 verse 11, this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. May God add his richest blessing to the reading, preaching, understanding and obedience of his perfect word, you may be seated. In our day, we attach love to just about anything from our truck to our pets to our clothes to our chocolate. We love just about anything and everything. John begins our passage by reminding us that we ought to love one another. The word love is a derivative of the Greek word agape. It means an unconditional love. It means a unconditional commitment where you and I regard each other highly and we value each other tremendously. The case could be made that we as Christians ought to love everyone in the world. And while that is true, I want to specify this morning that John is talking to the church and about the church, that he is saying to the church that we ought to love our brothers and sisters in Christ so that when the watching world peers into the stained glass windows, they see a love that is demonstrated amongst ourselves that is undeniable and unmistakable. The word that John uses for love is in the present tense, which means it must be a continuous action always on display the way we value each other, regard one another, and the way we treat each other in Christ. I do need to specify that John does not say that we always have to agree with each other, nor do we have to vote for the same politicians or cheer for the same ball teams, or vacation together at the same summer house, 
But he does say that you and I have to love one another with an unconditional agape type of commitment and value. For the first and only time in John's letter, he reaches back to the Old Testament and brings for us an illustration. He says, do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. The story of Cain and Abel is tucked away in Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel were the two sons born to our first parents, Adam and Eve. Cain and Abel were both taught well by mom and dad. They went to church and they were taught that when you go to church, you always bring an offering. Scripture says that Cain brought some of the fruit from the soil. Abel brought the fat portions of the firstborn of the flock. And we read in Genesis chapter 4 that God looked with favor upon Abel and his offering, but did not look with favor upon Cain and his offering. At first you read that and you say, what gives? Does God just prefer animal sacrifice versus a fruit offering unto the Lord? And the answer is no. I don't think God specifies and, and, and creates and likes one over the other. But if you look closely at the text, it tells us that Cain brought some of the fruit, the leftovers, some of the bruised, rotten, spoiling fruit. But Abel, not only did Abel bring the firstborn of the flock, but he brought the fat portion of the firstborn of the flock. In other words, he brought the best of the best. Let me simply say it this way. Uh, Abel brought what was best unto the Lord and Cain brought what he could spare. And God looked with favor upon Abel and his offering and did not look with favor upon Cain and his offering. God made it abundantly clear to Cain that what he had offered to him was subpar. The Bible says that Cain became angry. God asked him, why are you angry? For don't you know that if you do what is right, you will be accepted in my eyes. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, ready to pounce and devour you. Either you master it or it will master you. In a very poetic way, God describes sin as an animal that is crouched, an animal that is ready to pounce and devour. And either, my friend, you master your sin or your sin will master you. And after that little sermonette, Cain was unmoved. A few days later, he said to his younger brother, Abel, let's go to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain viciously and violently murdered his brother. For the first time ever in sacred scripture, there was a homicide. And John calls it a murder. The word that John uses in our ancient text is a word that means to slay, to kill, to butcher. Literally, it means to cut the throat. John is reminding us the brutality of such an action. So he says to the church, to brothers and sisters in the Lord, do not murder each other the way that Cain murdered Abel. And then he goes on to say, do not even hate one another, for if you hate, then you have murdered, for he is reminding us and reminding himself of the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. All throughout this text, it would seem to me that John is comparing and contrasting Cain with Christ. That we are not to be like Cain, who sacrificed his brother out of jealous hatred, but you and I are to be like Christ, for he sacrificed himself out of obedient love. 
And either we will look more like Cain or more like Christ. And John is urging the church to look more like Christ than to look like Cain. He says, if you want to know what love is, all you got to do is look to Calvary. He says in verse 16, this is love that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He sacrificed himself for us. It was selfless. It was sacrificial. It was an act of service. It was an act of obedience. This is love, not a selfish jealousy, but a loving obedience. This is love. This is agape love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. The very next line, John says, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Now that's pretty strong. I mean, that's pretty extreme, isn't it? That what we see demonstrated in the life of Jesus ought to be duplicated in our lives. Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. Let me just ask you this. Would you lay your life on the line for the people that are seated right around you this morning? I'm assuming that those seated right around you are family members or friends, people that you know quite well. Uh, Just take a gander at somebody across the sanctuary. Just, Just look. Just look at somebody on the far reaches opposite of where you're seated. Now let me ask you, would you lay your life on the line for that individual? I mean, the one that's seated right beside you, you know him, you know her pretty well. But the person that's seated in the, in the balcony, the person that's seated in the front, the person seated in the back, you may know them in a very casual way, but not in a real personal way. And really, would you take a bullet for those individuals? Then let me ask you this. What about somebody that you don't know? Somebody halfway across the world. Maybe somebody that you never even have met. You don't know them by first name basis. And yet there are brother and sister in Christ. Would you lay your life on the line for a brother or sister in Asia or in Africa or in Europe? Would you lay your life on the line for somebody that you do not know? This is love, John says. That Jesus laid his life on the line for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. This is strong This is stout because the reality is that this doesn't happen a lot in the church. For most churches are known for conflict more than compassion. They're known by their grudges more than their grace. They're known more by their skepticism than their sacrifice. They're known more for their jealousy than their joy. And yet, John says, this is love. This is agape love. This is the love that the watching world needs to see in us. So then in verse 17, John understands that most of us will not be called to lay down our life for somebody else. Throughout church history, there have been a lot of martyrs who have done that, though. A lot of people that have given the ultimate sacrifice, their very life, for the cause of Christ and for somebody else. But most of us, we, we won't be called to do that. So instead of using that dramatic illustration, then John seamlessly moves into a daily demonstration. You may not be called to lay down your life for somebody, but you sure will be called to use your resources to meet a need of somebody that you come across. For in verse 17, he talks about if, If you have material possessions and you see your brother in need 
and you do not have pity upon him. That word pity means compassion. If you do not have compassion, if you do not have pity, how can the love of God be in you? That's a very normal, everyday slice of life kind of scenario. What I find interesting is that up until verse 17, he's using pronouns that are plural. You get to verse 17, the pronouns become singular. It's almost as if John is saying, it's one thing to say that as a church and as a body, we love the world. It's another thing for individuals of that church to say, I love individual brothers and sisters in Christ. It's one thing for us to say, we love humanity with a capital H. It's another thing to say, we love that middle-aged man who because of corporate downsizing has lost his job and he needs help paying his mortgage bill and you can help or I can help. It's one thing to say, we love the world. We love everybody in the world. We love believers all throughout the world. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to say, and we love that young mom who's a single parent. And let's just be honest, she's a single parent because of poor life choices. But yet she's still a single parent, and that precious baby has come into the world, and now that mom is in a a predicament because she doesn't have enough money to pay the rent and pay for groceries and pay for diapers. She can pay for one of the three, maybe two of the three, but she can't pay for three out of the three, and she comes to you, and she comes to me needing help. It's one thing to say we love people. It's another thing to say we love an individual person. It's one thing to say, we love all of God's children. We love brothers and sisters that look like us and don't look like us. It's another thing to help the homeless man who doesn't have the same skin color as you and he reeks of sweat and body odor and urine and all he's asking for is a hot meal. It's one thing for us to say that we love God and we love each other. It's another thing for us to put the cookies on the bottom shelf where the rubber meets the road for us to say, look, I've got financial material possessions and somebody comes along my path and they are in need and I can meet it. John says, if you have material possessions and you see your brother in need and you have no pity, you have no compassion. He doesn't even say that you meet their needs. He just says you don't even have pity or compassion upon them. Then how can the love of Christ be in you? So he says in verse 18, the church's love life, we, we don't just love by word, but we love by action and truth. We don't just love in our words and by the things that we say, but it's undeniable, it's unmistakable that we care for each other and we care for others who have needs that we're in a position to meet. After all, remember, he is comparing Cain with Christ. And Cain, he was only looking out for himself. He was angry. He was doing what he wanted to do. But Christ, no, that's the opposite. Christ is one who laid down his life for us. And Christ demonstrated his love for us in both the mundane and the magnificent. In the mundane, Jesus showed his love by speaking to children along the way. In the magnificent, Jesus showed his love by speaking and the world came into existence. In the mundane, Jesus hung out with a ragtag bunch of rednecks. In the magnificent, Jesus hung on a cross made of wood to make you holy. In the mundane, Jesus 
wash dirty feet. In the magnificent, Jesus washed dirty souls so you and I could be cleansed both now and forevermore. In the mundane, Jesus had a roadside conversation with a woman at a well. In the magnificent, he said unto her, if you believe in me, springs of living water will well up inside of you. Jesus was the epitome of love in the mundane and the magnificent. Friend, I want you to know that love is not found in Cupid cards or candy. Love is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you and I look to Jesus, we see love personified, not just in the mundane, but in the magnificent, not just in something that's done once in a lifetime, but something that's done on an everyday basis. You and I look unto Jesus and we see what love looks like. So I don't know about you, but I come to this table this morning and I'm glad today that Jesus loves me. I am glad today that Jesus saved my sin-sick soul. I'm glad today that Jesus has come to show me how to live for him. I'm glad today that Jesus has adopted me into his family. I'm glad today that Jesus gave me new purpose in life. I'm glad today he's made a home for me in heaven. I'm glad today that when that day comes, he will personally escort me to eternity and guide me into glory. I'm glad today that when I come to this table, I see the bread and the cup. It's representative of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. Christ. And I'm glad today that when I look to Calvary, I understand what love looks like. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes. Jesus loves me. Yes. Jesus loves me. Yes. Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so. So here John declares to the church, you and I must love one another this morning church. I invite you to this table if you're a baptized believer in the Lord. Because here, at this table, Jesus reminds us, I love you. And it's not just with words. He backed up his words with action. And church, I want you to know that Jesus loves you, and so do I. I love you. And may I always show that, not just in word, but also in deed. So that when the watching world looks at us, it is undeniable. It is unmistakable. That we have an unconditional affection for one another. That we have a deep-rooted commitment for one another. Where we value each other highly in Christ. If you're a baptized believer... You're invited to come today.